This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 210 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Net Radio Network. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Without our producer Glenn this week. I know we're flying solo. Fingers crossed everything works. (laughs) No, we're getting pretty good at this. Yeah, we got our guests sorted out. We just you know we're okay. (laughs) We're okay. So Philip, how's your week been? It's been busy. Uh, I don't know if I told you or said on the show we are moving houses. Um, I wanted to. There was an opportunity to move closer to the barn, so uh, that's what we did. So that was on Friday last week. It's always hectic, and uh, but fun. I mean, we're now kind of settled in, and uh, I can see the barn from my front window right now, even. So mm-hmm. I can keep a closer eye on things, and that's really great. So. Oh, yay. Well, it's so nice to be able to walk. That's, uh, Travis, my favorite thing about living on a farm, especially this time of year, because we've had really nice weather. It's not been super hot. And just to be able to have a glass of wine and walk around the barn and say hi to everybody, all the horses, it's it's great. It's like the nicest part about living on a farm. So I'm glad it'll make life easier for you, for sure. I think so. I think so. Well, Meredith is a little bit ticked because it makes her commute a little longer, but... yeah. You give, you give some, you take some. So it's going to work out great. I'm Welcome really to excited. marriage, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good time. Well, good. So well, how was your week? Me. What's been going on with you and the farm and the horses? Well, it's been, it's been kind of, it's a busy week also here. Um, we have a horse show coming up over the weekend. Uh, it'll be a much smaller show than, than we went a couple of weeks ago. So that'll be nice. It, it's, uh, the, the facility's lovely and it's like being in a park. So uh, Baby D, yeah, much more located than the horse park was a few weeks ago and and baby d was uh a little bit overfaced so it'll be nice for him to have a nice i'm hoping uh that's why we decided to go is have a real competent go over the weekend right. so yeah that's that's the plan that yep that's good. the plan and uh oh philip i took my three-year-old i have a lovely three-year-old um who went to camp today <laughs> to a good friend of mine uh to be broken Training and camp. uh she went to training camp, and I will tell all the parents out there that are listening, oh, my gosh, it was so hard to drive away. I had some separation <laughs> anxiety. Was she calling for you? No, no. She oh, happily she ate her hay. Nope. <laughs> got on the trailer like a rock star. Got off. Get, got in her stall. They had great hay sitting for her, clean stall, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> way better hay than we have at home. Oh. So she said, oh, that alfalfa hay looks awesome. Yeah, you probably don't want to feed her that for very long because she's a little fat. But uh, <laughs> so, uh, but oh, it was, it was so oh, hard it was tough. to take uh, her away, take... drop her off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she she's in wonderful hands with Megan Moore, team CEO of Venting, and she's doing their uh, Venting three year old camp. So there's a contest to see who can get their horse the most broke at the end of sixty days. So um, I hope Minnie will be a star at camp. Of so that's the plan. She's, a star. she's calm and easy <laughs> and fun. So that'll be good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what's on the show this week? What do we got? 
Well, we have some great tips this week. Um, Sue Kolstad, our S judge, our FEI S judge, is coming back on uh, to give us another judges tip. That was a a listener, a uh, couple listeners wrote in and said they wanted more judges tips. So Sue's coming on to give us a judging tip. And then Tara Steegan, who is a very well-known FEI rider, she's taken a little time off. She had twins. So she's going to come on the show. Yeah, she's going to talk a little bit about what it's like to be a mom and an FEI rider and trainer and then give us a tip on making our pirouettes better. So we have a really fun show. Great. Great. It's nice to have the trainer tips and and a judge's perspective. So a little bit uh, a little bit two two different perspectives on uh, on how to ride your horse basically. That's exactly. Yeah. It is. Great. So, Philip, we got some news for, not great news, but we have some news this week. Well, at a press conference, uh, the Dutch team trainer announced that Adelinda Cornelissen and Parseval are not going to be selected for the, the Dutch CDIO Rotterdam team because Parseval has developed an arrhythmia. Um, the six-year-old Dutch warm blood is now at the university in Ghent, uh, Belgium, where he was successfully treated, but they've got to get him back to work and he won't be ready for Rotterdam. So that's that's not great news for Adelinda, um, but I hope that she will get Parseval back going soon, one of the top horses in the world, and uh, he's great great, great to watch and, and really uh, indispensable on that Dutch team. Exactly. So we wish her well, and, and uh, he's actually 16, so he's an older guy. So um, we do wish her well with him and hope that he's all is well. No, none of us like hearing that our horses are, are in the clinic. So fingers crossed and prayers sent to her for his return to work, for sure. Next up, we got uh, something a little bit different for the show this week. We have uh, Cooking with Reese, our professional chef. <laughs> Easy and, now. Uh, she's got a recipe for us this week, so uh, we thought we'd we'd do something a little bit different for the summertime. What what what, what have you been doing lately, Reese? Wow, Philip, that really just imparted some some real, you know, I'm really excited now. Well, I do come on, I do go on the morning show every once in a while, and I, I do a recipe. Glenn has me do a recipe. Um, I, uh, and my, one of the things I really enjoy doing is cooking. Uh, I don't know how good I am, but Travis doesn't seem to be complaining. Um, but I had a fun recipe. I don't know if everyone or our listeners out there are having the bumper strawberry, strawberry crop that we had. Um, but we have had, I have been uh, literally, I've had buckets of strawberries uh, that we grew in our garden. And I'm actually not that green of a thumb, but we were. I didn't know you had a strawberry garden. We're able to grow a lot of strawberries this year. Really? So, yeah, right by the indoor, actually. I have two raised gardens and um, I, every year I, I feel like I need to do better with my garden. So, thankfully, the strawberries have sort of taken over half of one of the raised gardens. So yeah, we do, and uh, it's fun. Uh, you, sometimes I take Denali out, and he really likes strawberries. So we'll go pick a few <laughs> after we ride. I don't oh, know if that's God, good for him, but yeah, he... strawberries good. Well, I'm gonna have to ask a vet about this. Yeah, we'll have to ask Meredith if if the strawberries are good. But Denali really likes strawberries, and he he comes up to the patch, and I get off and give him a few strawberries. He's totally spoiled. I know, but he really likes it. So, so, so what's the I, recipe? What the recipe got? is for ice cream. Um, I made ice cream. It is not very good for you. Yes, from scratch. I have one of those ice cream makers. Uh, Don't sound so shocked, Philip. I'm just asking. You're a busy person. I I don't know that I would ever find Well, I know, but I had so many strawberries. I felt like we had to do something with them. So here are the recipes for it is easy strawberry ice cream, and it is very easy. Um, So in a large bowl, 
Uh, well, actually, here are the ingredients. Two cups of whole milk, two cups of heavy cream, one cup of white sugar. I actually cut the sugar because it, obviously it's not very healthy for you, ice yeah. cream. It's not frozen yogurt, but it's really good. Um, I did not like to, uh, a whole cup of sugar. I used a little bit more like a half cup or to taste. My strawberries were really sweet, so I cut down on the sugar. Um, a quarter teaspoon of salt, two teaspoons of vanilla es- extract, and two cups of mashed fresh strawberries. You combine everything in a large bowl, um, and you pour your mixture into your ice cream maker, and then just freeze according to your manufacturer's directions. So it is delicious. It's so easy. easy. I just have to get the ice cream maker. Yeah. Well, maybe for your wedding. That's one of those things you get when you get married. Uh, We got ours when we got married, and uh, yeah, it was great. So yeah. Very easy to make, and it was delicious. Travis thought I was the cooking whiz, so that was pretty exciting. <laughs> you, you impressed him, right? Does it, yeah, does I impressed it. him with my ice cream recipe. So uh, so try it. Let me know if you try it. And um, I do have another one for strawberry jam that I'm making tonight, probably at midnight, but that's okay. Um, so, again, I have a bucket of strawberries left, so I'm going to make some jam tonight. So I will right, report back on how that goes. You can let us know how, how that goes. goes huh? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, Philip, after our commercial break, we are going to have a judge's tip from Sue Kolstad. Coach Jen here, host of the Horse Tip Daily Show on the Horse Radio Network. The way consumers interact with the brands they have trusted for years and those they are about to fall in love with for the first time is becoming more and more mobile, literally, and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. Podcasts or internet radio shows like this one combine the new consumer preference for on-demand information and entertainment with the power of niche market audiences. Advertising on the Horse Radio Network podcasts allows you to reach the equestrian consumer using today's preferred on-demand delivery system. It's cost-effective and flexible, able to reinforce your existing marketing and social media strategies. To learn more about advertising on this show or any of the shows on the Horse Radio Network, contact us at 859-951-2022 or you can email us at glenn at horseradionetwork.com. That's glenn with two N's at horseradionetwork.com. Come and join the Horse Radio Network family. You'll enjoy the ride. Hey, Reese, we got a new sponsor this month on our dressage radio show, Equity flex and forks and they sent us each a fork to try out and and test out and uh, i want to know how your fork is doing oh my gosh i love our forks and <laughs> i don't know about you philip at your barn but in my barn before the equity fork came to be perfectly honest i think i bought a new pitchfork every month it would drive me crazy that the, yeah, the tines you, would you break you go through those stupid forks so oh fast it seems like yeah. you know like they they're just making money on making f- bro- broken forks all the time yeah but, uh, exactly but and we got our the equi- equity fork is amazing it's so <laughs> good it's so strong and it even has a 13 month warranty against breakage on the tines 
So let me tell you, if we break it, we're in good shape. And they were so kind to send us um, a fork. And I tell you what, it's really strong and it feels really good. It's like has a nice handle. The, the, and the it's handle really it was, is the part that I really liked, you know, because it's got a, a special grip handle. I mean, if you go on the website, you can see it, but um, it's it's really makes it uh, you know that much easier to uh, to you kind of muck the stalls and, and clean the manure out, and uh, they're just great manure forks. They stand behind their product, you know, with that 13 month uh, warranty. I mean, it's just it's just a wonderful. It's it's, it's a worth great it. product. Yeah, it's, it's a little <laughs> it is bit a more great than, product. The, than the fork than you, that you go at the store, but worth you're going to keep it for. I think forever. I mean, you can see with it, it's got a different design. No, I agree. It, it is really a super, super quality fork, and I think everyone would enjoy it. I went around the barn and had everybody give me a report and not one negative comment. They're so much better. Nobody wants to use, so we have one equity and then the other. The others are normal, and they fight over the equity. Yeah, we're going to have so, to get – I mean, it's kind yeah. of not – we're going to have to order more forks. I know. So that- <laughs> Because they're fighting over the equity. So <laughs> I would absolutely recommend this fork. Uh, and that was very kind of them to send us. So we can try and really, truly give you our honest opinion on the fork. So two thumbs up for sure. Yeah. So you can you can purchase your equity fork at equitymfg.com. So that's E-Q-U-I-T-E-E-M-F-G.com. Check out all their products. Well, Philip, we have a real treat today. We have Tara Stegan, FEI, FEI rider and trainer from Wellington, Florida, for this week's trainer tip. Well, for this week week's trainer tip, we have a very exciting guest, Tara Stegan from Wellington, Florida. Tara, welcome to the show. Thank you, Reese. How are you? We are great. And Tara, I follow you on Facebook and we competed many years together and you are a new mom of twins. Is that right? Yes, I am. I have two beautiful 10-month-old little boys named named James and Jacob. And they're crawling and talking and thinking the world is absolutely a blast. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, how do you, how do you manage twins and riding and your stable and all that good stuff? Well, fortunately, I'm very blessed to have a barn manager of five years now, Edmund Guzman. Um, he runs my barn completely for me six days a week, and then I have someone for Mondays. Um, but Edwin used to work and run um, uh, oh, um, Michael Mapp's racehorse farm, so I am in very good hands when it comes to my barn. And then I have a live-in nanny who helps me 24 hours a day with the with kids. So I can go to the barn, do what I need to do. If I have to go back to the barn because of vet calls or farrier work, um, you know, I mean, she's here 24-7. And so between the two of us, we tag team the kids all day and all night, and then I can still get all my work done. Oh, that's fabulous. Oh, my gosh. I can't. Twins, I think, gives me hives. Like, I don't think I can handle that. <laughs> that's too much stress for well, and Terry, you said you, you are working to get back into the Grand Prix after having the boys. Yes, I am. Um, I've actually had the horse I'll be moving into the Grand Prix with this winter. He is my mother's horse. Uh, his show name is LaRoche, and we call him Junior. Um, everybody's kind of known him as he's been growing up as the gigantic toy of mine. Um, he's 18 hands, uh, Holsteiner. Tall, dark, and handsome, light off his feet, and just very talented. Um, and considering he's 18 hands, he's exceptionally easy to ride. Um, I'm very blessed that way. So it's been fun. You know, we're, we're finishing the Piazza Passage tour and the pirouettes and getting all of our 
the Grand Prix organized this summer, so we should be hitting the ring. Probably we'll start the national shows in September and then uh, head for a couple of CDIs come February, March. Oh, well, we can't wait. We're going to have our fingers crossed, and we can't wait to talk to you after your first Grand Prix, that's for sure. Well, Tara, oh, we're... Yeah. So we would love to move into our trainer tip for the week. What is your tip for all our listeners? Well, I've run into a lot of amateurs that have problems figuring out how to balance a horse going into the pirouettes, meaning when they're moving into the fourth level and to the pre-St. George. And I've come up with a, it's, it's a combination of going back to basics without leaving the level of collection you're working at, meaning the fourth and pre-St. George collection. I like to take a horse that is struggling balancing and turning in a pirouette to back to serpentines. And I'm not talking three-loop serpentines. I'm talking six- to eight-loop serpentines in troop lead and counter-canter lead. And for that, you can then find out where your horse falls, leans, gets off his hind end, falls out, swings his haunches, and the two of you learn how to control your way around an eight-loop serpentine without them throwing a flying change in or falling apart. And then that gives a feel to a rider to be able to get down to a pirouette because a horse changes every footfall within the pirouette. And this teaches a mindset for an amateur rider who is learning how to do pirouettes themselves how to get through it. Well, that's that's interesting. So, can you describe a little bit in detail the preparation into the serpentine and how uh, how to ride that serpentine? You know how big the loops are and and where to go and and what the plan is. Absolutely, everybody knows any pre Saint George horse can do a three loop counter canter serpentine because we did it at second and third level. Well, moving it into a six loop serpentine, which is usually the easiest one to start with, they're usually about five to seven meter turn. So, you know, if, you're, if you could do a five meter canter circle, you can do a half turn for a serpentine. And the first couple times you do the serpentine, you just do the serpentine. You don't try to set them up. You don't try to half halt them. You literally try to just maintain normal collected canter throughout the serpentine and see what happens. Does your horse lean into your inside rein on your true lead? Does he fall his shoulder out on the counter turn or when he's on, on his counter lead turning back? You know, it's for you to, the first loop, first time down the serpentine and back is to see where your horse falls apart, where the two of you fall apart. Do you lighten your seat on your counter lead? Do you sit too heavy on the true lead turn? And trying to keep your loops the same is very important because then you yourself can stay balanced, straight between your hip bones, straight between your seat and hand connection to the horse. So then throughout the two of you can keep the same collected canter you would have going down the long side. Now, when that is easy, then you start making it a little more interesting. As you go across the center of the ring, you then ask the horse to half halt. You say, can you sit a little more? And then without asking him to sit too much like a pirouette, just asking that smaller amount of collecting and sitting a little harder, you take that canter through your first true lead loop. Then, because the odds of the horse either leaning on his hand, on your hands, or falling behind your leg, you have several exits out. You can either go down the long side and send the horse forward, 
or as you're finishing your loop, heading back across the ring, you have four or five strides forth across the middle of the arena where you can then go forward again. So you're constantly reminding the horse that he can still get back up in front of your leg, even though you faced him with something a little more complicated, because the next turn is going to have the same level of complication. Now you have to sit back again and turn on your counter lead. But then you can, again, go down alongside to leave and go forward or across the ring and go forward again. So you're always teaching them that they never have, excuse me, that they always have a way out. So they always want to reestablish going forward in front of your leg, all right, which is one of the biggest problems with pirouettes. A horse doesn't maintain forward through to the contact from your leg. So you're always reinforcing they have a way out and they can go forward and get out of their situation. They can get away from their fear zone, which is the compression. So as that gets easier, then instead of making them truly sit too hard or too much for pirouette, you add in another loop. You add in a seventh loop or an eighth loop, which then will turn your loops into four or, you know, pretty much four loop serpentines. So the loop itself becomes more complicated, not your aid for the pirouette. So the movement makes the horse work harder, not the rider. So the rider can continue to ask the same pressure, the same aid to reinforce their own repetition of creating the proper aids for the pirouette. Instead of constantly trying to change your aid, you just repeat the same pressure then the horse has to do the movement tighter, but you're not asking any extra pressure to make it tighter. The movement doesn't. So again, you keep the pressure off the horse, and you keep the pressure off the rider, and you still have all your exits. You can go down alongside to go forward or across the ring. If the horse gets heavy or gets too strung out, you have, you can add in a transition. Can or walk, can a transition, continue on then your true basics of going back to your transitions to reestablish weight off my seat, weight off my aid, you can put anywhere into this routine, just like you would going down alongside. Guys, have any questions there? Yeah. How often would you do this exercise? How many repetitions or how many times a week would you say that you use this exercise in that fourth level pre-St. George area? I would usually do it at least twice a week. Um, one, because it establishes a very consistent rhythm for the canter both directions. If, say, a horse has a super canter one way, but the other direction is a little weak, it'll actually strengthen the, the second canter lead. And, but if you overdo it, then, of course, they get fatigued, they overwork their hamstrings, and then they're not going to want to stay in front of your leg. So if you stagger it, like, say, you, you ride six days a week, put it on your second ride and then your fourth or fifth ride of the week. So then they can do other routines, other movements of the test or exercises that you're working on and work through any soreness that that was created from this routine. And, and what do you say are the most common problems in, in, the, uh, in the pirouettes that, that you find for people? Really, it's the horse staying between your aids. Um, coming down to a pirouette, you know, like a Grand Prix rider for the first time, you're on a center line, you have no walls. You have no bearings. And as you, even though we all can down the center line to a judge, we're, not, we're doing it dead straight. With a pirouette, you have to come at it with 
their rib cage bent in preparation. Their shoulders have to be a little higher. Their neck has to be in a soft bend with a jaw flexion. So you've actually taken the horse out of their natural balance, and they have to try to stay straight. So they're going to fall out, fall in, swing their haunches in the wrong direction, depending on if we're sitting correctly or not. So with those problems, doing these turns, you yourself have to stay centered because one minute you're on your true lead, the next minute on your counter lead. So it forces the rider to sit centered. That in itself takes care of going down a center line or across a diagonal line because if we wobble, so does the horse. We affect their center of gravity. Doing this routine tightens our abdominal muscles and our back muscles so we can stay in our own space, which then allows the horse to stay in his balance to do the higher-level collection of the pirouette. No, I think that's such a good description on how you have to use your ab muscles. I think a lot of times riders don't feel that. And then when you get into a tighter type movement like a pirouette, how important your ab muscles are. Um, right. are there other, are there other exercises that riders can do when they're just starting the pirouettes to kind of help with that, that idea? Yes. And it's the goofiest thing in the world. And I've given it to, I can't tell you how many students that I've gone and clinked for. And these ladies have called me back and like, what, you know, I mean, and this is, <laughs> this is goofy. Everybody knows what those medicine balls are that we use at the workout gyms. Okay, every, every woman and most riders have seen them at one point or another, and they use them for stretching exercises, yoga. I use it to work on my sitting trot. I, put, I sit on it in front of the TV while I watch a movie, and I practice my sitting trot. My feet are out in front of me. My knees are together. My, up, my back is straight, and I bounce from one hip to the other, keeping my elbows at my side, and I watch a movie. Then I do it a couple nights a week. That's a good good problem. use of time, right? Doing a couple yeah, of things at it's once, great. right? <laughs> Never sit why still. Sit the, yeah, why sit on the couch and slouch? All right, we're supposed to sit up. Well, you know, I mean, you could do this while playing a lot. I've been doing it playing with my kids. They think it's hysterical because I'm sitting there playing to- playing with toys with them on the floor. Well, I'm bouncing on my medicine ball, and in the process of doing this, I'm strengthening those abductors, the back muscles. At the same time, having them stay flexible and relaxed because I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I'm watching a movie. So I'm not stressed while I'm working the muscles that I need to use while I'm riding my horses. Oh, I love that. You learn, oh, you learn I how love to that. breathe. Well, and that's the thing. The biggest part of people sitting the trot or sitting a pirouette or sitting changes is our air gets pushed out of our lungs. We exhale faster than we inhale. Well, that makes us exhausted. It fatigues our muscles, and we panic. People will hyperventilate because they don't think they can balance because they're already out of breath. Well, this takes care of all those problems. It teaches our muscles to allow ourselves to exhale too fast and inhale while we're in a relaxed state. So then when we are under pressure, we aren't thinking anything of it because our muscles have muscle memory, and they're just doing what we've already been doing. Interesting. Good I love idea. It. Yeah, that's a that's great creative. idea. Yeah. I know. I, I think I'm going to blow up my medicine ball this weekend and then do it. That's a great idea. Good to work. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tara, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. And uh, if our listeners wanted to look you up online, how do they find you? Well, actually, I'm working on getting a new website up. My old website was taken down. There were a few things wrong with it. So 
So my new website will not be up for a month, um, but I am on Facebook, and anybody can friend me on Facebook, and I can send them, they can email me. My email address is tsprasage at hotmail.com. Um, and I am always open for questions. People can ask me questions on Facebook. doesn't bother me in the slightest. I have no problem sharing my information. Great. Well, thanks so much. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce Sue Kolstad to the radio show this evening. Sue, thanks for joining us. It's totally my pleasure. Totally my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Well, Sue, you are a wonderful judge and also a very very good trainer. And um, we have a listener question that we wanted to have you answer for us. So I'll start off and I'll read the listener question and then we'll get started. Okay. Okay. So the listener question is, I have a question about lengthenings versus mediums versus extension. Can you clarify the difference for me? At a recent show, I read first level test three and the judge gave me sevens, but said I needed clearer transitions into and out of my lengthenings. I always understood lengthening should be a crescendo up and down, whereas a medium was more of a definite transition. Then I watched some second and third level tests and had some trouble telling the difference. Maybe the judge did too, um, as I didn't see her comments. So, Sue, can you just uh, start by kind of telling us the difference between lengthenings, mediums, and extensions? I will do my best to clarify the confusion in that um, participant's understanding of the definitions and then what the judge is looking for. One thing that you have to really understand about the judges is there's a very small amount of time to give a lot of information. And the judge doesn't have enough time to really say everything that they really want to say about each individual movement, so they try to put it in as few words as possible for the sake of the scribe, and sometimes they don't really get the meaning quite clarified to the writers. And so there's many times when my students will come to me and they'll show me their test and they'll say, the judge said this or this or this, and I say, well, you know, they can only mention one part of it. They couldn't tell you, they couldn't write a paragraph about it because the next movement came up too fast. And so when that writer said something about the transitions and didn't think that the transitions were a part of the lengthening, that is not true because a transition is always part of every movement unless it's a separate score. And if you go into the directives, you will find that transitions are always included in the directives for the movement, unless, like I said, the transition is a separate score. And some horses have natural extended trots and some don't. And so a lot of times we as trainers have to build the extensions into our horses. And in the judges' forums, when they teach us how to give a high score for a particular thing, um, there are some movements that are considered punishable. Like, say, if you're supposed to do a simple change, which is a canter transition to the walk and then back to the canter again, if you do a flying change, that's above the movement, and then you get a very bad score. 
But if you were supposed to do a turn on the haunches, which is out of a medium walk, and you do a pirouette, which is much tighter, out of a collective walk, you will actually get a higher score. And the same holds true for lengthening. If you're riding a first-level horse and it has a natural extended trot, which is balanced, which has an elongation of the stride and maintains the same tempo, then, and it shows the power and it covers ground and it has an overstep where the hind legs come under the, the body and in front of the hoof print of the front leg of the front foot, you will get a higher score at first level than a horse that just does a lengthening. So to get a seven for a lengthening of the stride in the trot, the, um, the, the score seven is fairly good. And that means the horse had to have a clear transition into the trot, into the um, lengthening, and it had to have, um, I'm looking for a transition into the trot, and it had to have accuracy riding from point to point on the line and into the corner. And it must be regular to beat rhythm, and it must have some elasticity, and it must be fairly steady with contact and uh, fairly good energy and expression. And the hind legs should step a bit further under the horse's body and carry even more weight. But to get a 10, the horse has to have absolutely everything better than to get a 7. And rare, 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 rare is the horse that ever gets a 10 or even a 9 on a lengthening. And like I said before, Sometimes when somebody shows a horse that was actually trained to a much higher level and they bring it down to a lower level and the horse has the strength for the self-carriage and the expression in, in extended trot and they do a lengthening, they'll get a much higher score. But most horses at first level aren't really strong enough to show the, the power and the suspension that would get a tense. And an Extended trot and a medium trot are out of collected gates. So the lengthening trot is done from a working trot, and the extended trot or the medium trot is done once the horse has collecting, and it's done out of a collected gate. And basically, from the judge's perspective, the difference between a medium trot and an extended trot is the length of the frame. The extended trot, the horse should completely lengthen its entire frame. And in a medium trot, it should do a powerful um, extension with its legs but still maintain more of a compressed frame. And really, truly, it's very difficult to differentiate. So, like at pre-St. George, first trot is a medium trot and the second time it's an extended trot, you just try to show more the second time so it shows a difference to the judge. I mean, teachers in the judges' forums, if you see a difference between the two and the second one 
shows more, then you give the second one the same score or a higher score, depending on what your standard is. But if the second one doesn't look any different than the first one, then you take it down a point because they didn't show a difference. So I don't know if I'm rambling on. or if you No, have that's any more. great. That's great information, No, that's Sue. great. What about this idea from the listener that the lengthening should be a crescendo up and down? What do you think about that? Yeah, that's an interesting concept. And I would say that a crescendo definitely shows transition. Because if you gradually build and then gradually um, come down, that's two transitions. But it shouldn't be gradual. Now, in the eventing test, it is, and it's clearly defined as such in the really? direction. Yes. Yes, it because says I, gradually. It, huh. says, yeah, it, it does say gradually. Right. Pardon me? No, I was saying the directive of, of that movement says gradually. So there is, there is the, the discussion there of saying you can gradually do it versus the dressage tests, right, that don't, that, that's not defined yeah. that way. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this this particular um, re- person who sent this questioning might have been exposed to the eventing test. That's a possibility. Because I've been helping a lot of eventing riders, and they do have a gradual build and a gradual comeback for their lengthening. But we don't in dressage. We want clear transitions. So, Sue, tell us the yeah. difference. You know, the, uh, one of our, you know, the listener said she watched some second and third level tests. So can you kind of talk about the difference between first, second, and third levels with, you know, the expectation as you go through? I will do my best. Great. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, first level is still working gates. Second level is the beginning of collected. And third level is more into collective. And at the top of every test, there's a purpose. And if you read the purpose, and unfortunately, I don't have any tests directly in front of me, but all tests have a purpose at the top. And the purpose is building from one level to the next. So if it's a first level test, it says the purpose of this test is to show that the rider has uh, successfully achieved the goals from training level and has added on with the leg yield and the balance and the lengthening and the transitions to and from the lengthening. Then the purpose at second level is to say say that the uh, the horse has mastered the skills of first level and now has added collection and can carry himself and has more suspension and can do medium gates, blah, blah, blah. And so every single level has a purpose at the top, which explains how the horse has progressively built from the previous level to this level with strength and training. And so when you're competing at second level, and it's the first time you do um, a medium trot, that horse is not expected to be as strong as a third-level horse doing a medium trot. And it goes that way through all of the levels. For example, in fourth level, we do a working half pirouette. And then by pre-St. George, we do a real half pirouette in the canter. And we are taught in the judges' programs 
that the horse is not required to have the same degree of collection at second or third level as it is expected to have at fourth or pre-St. George. But if a horse does a real pirouette at fourth level, you score it higher. In fact, I was judging weekend before last in Las Vegas, and I had a fourth level rider, and I gave it a nine on its pirouette, its working pirouette. And I said to my scribe, I said, wow, I don't see pirouettes like that in Grand Prix very often. And then my scribe said, well, it is a Grand Prix horse. So <laughs> I didn't know, and I shouldn't know any of those things when I'm judging. Right. But right. it made sense to me that that horse could do such a great pirouette, and I gave it a nine. And I had a reason why I didn't give it a 10, because it didn't quite keep the pole the highest point, and it didn't stay in exactly the balance that I would want for a 10, but it came really close. Now, Sue, do you see a lot of variation in the lengthenings at first level versus kind of the extensions at at third levels? I mean, that, oh, that, could be, that could be confusing for somebody sitting on the sidelines and, and yeah. saying, well, that horse barely does anything. And then that, I mean, from a judge's perspective, are, do you see a lot of variation? I mean, are the scores, you know, when it's you're scoring, do they, do they vary a lot in that lengthening movement or in the extending, extension movement in, in third level? Yeah. You see a tremendous variation and you also see a tremendous variation in judges' standards. I tend to be more lenient in my standards, and I like to think that's because I train a lot of horses and I know how hard it is for a horse to sustain and maintain a real lengthening with the suspension and the tempo. Um, But some judges, you know, stick to a standard, and they want more at the lower levels. And so it's really hard to tell from being a spectator that all judges are looking for exactly the same thing. Some judges nitpick a little more. Some judges judge with a wider angle lens. And I like to use the example that when you look at a ride or a test or a movement, try to see the whole picture. Look at the whole entire picture with your wide angle lens. Don't just look at it with a telephoto lens, one little thing, and then it can't be anything good about it because there was one little thing that wasn't good. And um, a lot of the L uh, candidates that are going through the L program are being taught to see the, the, what's wrong to the point where they aren't seeing the whole entire picture of what's right. And I like to look at the whole picture and say, hey, that balance is steady. I like the picture. It gives me a happy feeling. But this happened and this happened, so I have to take away a half a point or something because these little things happened to get in the way, like the horse maybe threw his head or maybe stumbled or was counterbalanced for part of it or, you know, all these little little things enter in and they take away from the picture And then the person standing on the side watching sees maybe one thing, but they don't see all of the other requirements that the judge has been educated to see, so they don't understand. So I like to um, suggest that people audit the L program to get a better idea of what the judges are educated to put for and see. I think that would be really helpful for more people. It is. It's a great program. 
it is it is worth it even from a trainer's perspective just to kind of kind of educate yourself with the it's a great program well that was a fun show philip i really enjoyed having both of those tips yeah, lots of great riding information so people can get out there, use the nice summer weather that we're having, and, and work hard and and work on these things, right? Because every little thing helps to make a test better and, and helps our horses get better. Exactly. So I hope everyone enjoyed. Again, please don't hesitate to send us listener questions. Uh, we will either answer it uh, if we can ourselves or we will get an expert in to answer them. So thanks for our listener for sending in the judges questions and we look forward to more questions on our Facebook page. And you can find our show notes and links to today's guests at our website, dressageradio.com. You can like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. You can follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week, especially Equity Forks for our fantastic forks. And don't thank forget you. to check out all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.